too many microphones. Get, <laughs> too many pointers. So much technology. There we go. Well, hello. I'm, I'm Gary. Uh, I get to preach occasionally. Uh, I also lead a home group here. That's, that's who I am. And it was my wife's birthday. Well, will be very soon. So I've got some notes here. Uh, so, yep, they're definitely they're the right ones. So this morning it's the second in a short series on ACTS, A-C-T-S. It's a, a simple acronym that reminds us of things to include when praying. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. This week the subject is confession. Now I'm going to whip through quite a lot of verses, one or two at a time. Uh, and I will just sort of flow through them. If, if, you, if you're someone who likes to follow up and read the verses and check them out, just ask me afterwards. I will email you the whole lot. And you can, you can, you can check out in whatever translation you prefer. Um, before I get on to confession, just let me say Acts is not a rule. It's not a magic formula. It's a, it's a reminder of how to keep some balance in our prayers and the things that we should include. The Lord's Prayer would be another prompt which suggests a slightly different pattern. They're just reminders about having a good conversation with God. We can still be spontaneous. We can still be relevant to the current situation. Now, if there's one thing that's essential as part of prayer, it's surely faith. James chapter 1, verse 6, ask in faith without doubting. Faith, acceptance of God's grace to grow in relationship with him so that we can listen before we speak. A conversation involves listening. And then if we know his will as we pray, we can have expectation in our prayer. I think more than expectation, we can share God's yearning that his kingdom will come, his will will be done in our lives. So faith, acceptance, relationship, listening, expectant, yearning. But that spells Farley. Uh, 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 who would remember that? It's not even a proper word. No, it is a proper noun, I know that. I'm going now. No, no. Uh, we should talk about confession. Now, I thought it would be useful to check what the New Testament says about it. Uh, and I found 43 mentions of the Greek words that are sometimes translated as confession, confessing, confess. Four different words, but they all come back to the same root, um, which is, you know, amalego. Um, so it's literally, it's same speak. To agree, it's to agree by speaking the same thing. Much as we same speak as we sing happy birthday. We're sharing, we're agreeing that we wish someone a happy birthday. So 43 mentions. I'd like to go through them each in detail (laughs) some other time. Fortunately, they, they fit into around five groups. So you should be home for lunch. Now, one group, eight cases, uh, I'm going to skip over because they're essentially just someone agreeing in a very sort of common meaning or disagreeing or promising. Um, so, that's, so that's eight down, uh, 35 to go. 
And there are three cases that are confession in a way that is often translated as praise. Agreeing with who God is and what he has done. Matthew eleven twenty-five. 25. Jesus declared, so he's confessing now, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. And where it says, I praise you, it's literally, I confess you. I confess you are who I say you are. You are indeed who you say you are. So as he confesses the Father... Now, that's interesting. Confession seems to include adoration. Now, I wonder where that came from. I praise you. And there are 23 cases of a different kind of praise that's confessing Jesus, confessing our faith in him, agreeing that Jesus is who he says he is, that Christ is Lord. 23 cases out of the 43 is ours confessing Jesus. Romans 8, sorry, Romans 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart you believe and are justified and with your mouth you confess and are saved. Hebrews 13, 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And of course, there's the confession that all one day have to make. Romans 14, 11, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. 26 examples, adoration. Hmm. Adoration is part of confession. Now, the thing, our confession of Jesus has great power for one very good reason. It's power for our lives and for our salvation. Because if we confess Jesus, it turns out he confesses us. Matthew ten thirty two. Everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father in heaven. And there are four cases of that sort of confession. That Jesus confesses us before the Father. He will confess us, recognize us, present us to the Father as his. Now that's a reason for thanksgiving. Now hang on, did I say thanksgiving? (laughs) Confession includes adoration and thanksgiving. There's something odd happening here. Now, perhaps you were thinking that really I should be talking about confessing sins. Isn't that what the sea of Acts is about, confessing our own sins? Well, that brings me to the final five. 38 down, five to go. Now, two are about people going to John the Baptist to confess their sins. So before Jesus' ministry, and overlapping with, so they're confessing to John in public, not in private prayer. And another one is similar, people publicly confessing uh, to Paul, as it happens, Acts 19, 18. Many who believe now came forward confessing and disclosing their deeds, turning to Christ for forgiveness of sins, Forgiveness that remains. 
Not the Old Testament atonement that had to be renewed every year. One big confession, once. It's done once and done, redeemed forever by Christ. Two to go. One tells us to confess to each other. James 5:16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. To each other, not to God, not even to a priest, except we're all priests. It's sometimes helpful to talk to your pastor, but confess to each other. Something that most Christians find far more difficult than confessing to God. I think many years ago, I I, I saw a TV adaptation of of Robinson Crusoe. I mentioned the TV adaptation because I don't think this scene was in the original book. Now, Crusoe has been abandoned on an island, and his one companion is a man who he calls Friday because he met him in on Friday. There are some cultural issues with this book. But Crusoe teaches Friday the, the Christian faith. And then Friday does something that offends Crusoe. He's a bit upset, he's a bit angry. Um, but Friday has learnt well, and he tells Crusoe, God will forgive me. <laughs> Crusoe's response, God may well forgive you, I will not. God is better at forgiving than we are. You could say it's his specialism. Do you dare confess to the one you've offended? It's what Jesus said we should do. Matthew 5, 23. If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. First go... And be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. If you're not prepared to confess to the one you've offended, then it seems a bit odd just to confess it to God, as though that's that's dealing with it. And of course it works the other way around. If you have something against someone, give them the chance to confess to you and forgive them. So there's four cases about confessing to people. And then there was one. One in 43. Now I wanted to spend a bit of time on this particular verse because I think it is often used quite out of context. John's first epistle, chapter 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. These verses are said in churches up and down the country, and indeed across the world, Sunday by Sunday, service by service, week after week, year after year, inviting people to join in a prayer of confession. And it can feel very much like a, a constant reminder that you're a sinner. Confess. You, there's even, you're not... There's an, don't even ask the question, have you, have you sinned? Okay, let's pray this. It's just assumed that you have sinned. And now we're going to pray the prayer of confession. Is that what John intended? Or was he thinking more about God's grace to forgive? He even included himself in this. We, us. Was he calling himself a sinner? This is the John who wrote things like this in that same letter. Chapter 2, verse 12. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven through his name. 
chapter 5, verse 18. Anyone born of God does not keep on sinning. The one who was born of God, that is Christ, protects him, and the evil one cannot touch him. And he recorded Jesus' own words, John 5, 24. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment. Indeed, he has crossed over from life to death. So is John confused? I don't think so. It's generally understood that John wrote, in part, to oppose a heresy that was growing among the churches at the time. It's called Gnosticism. And it included a very clever way around sin. And and it goes a bit like this. Our physical bodies are just a vessel for spirit. So what we do with our bodies doesn't matter. It's only spirit that matters. So nothing that we do with our bodies could be a sin. Therefore, we do not sin, QED. Hence John's insistence that Christ came in the flesh not only as a spirit. John 1.14, the word became flesh. 2 John 7, many deceivers have gone out into the world, refusing to confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. You get the feeling that he felt quite strongly about this. It's his reply to Gnosticism. Get real. Who are you kidding? Sin is real. Bodies are real. But, says John, if you're in Christ, your sins are forgiven. His readers know this. Jesus died once for all, once confessed and covered by Christ's blood. Forgiveness is granted. His readers know this. And I think now I'm really speaking to those here who also know that forgiveness is God's gift. You might have heard of a Sunday school teacher who who asked her class, now children, if you want your sins to be forgiven, what is the first thing you must do? Uh, An awkward silence, as as you'd expect, until one child ventures a suggestion, miss, miss, first you have to sin. (laughs) And of course, that's correct, but that's the bit that humans find all too easy. John's bigger point is that we have to accept that we have sinned, then we can have God's forgiveness and know that we have it continuously without having to continuously ask for it. Now, don't get me wrong, we, we feel, we think, we do things that are wrong. And if you don't know it, your friends and family will tell you, or if they won't tell you, your enemies will. But if you confess to God about it, do you sometimes get the feeling you're telling God things he already knows? And seeking forgiveness for something that's already forgiven? It's not presumptuous to say that if you are in Christ, you are forgiven. And the alternative, I'm afraid, is to disagree with Jesus and the apostles. Now, the New Testament speaks of debt. It speaks of debt, what is owed to God or to a person. It speaks of slip-ups. Mistakes. It speaks of missing the mark and falling short of the glory of God. Um, All translated, one way or another, often as sin. Those are the things that are translated as sin. It's ophelima, paraptima, and hamartia, in case you were asking. Two completely different words in the Greek that we all think about. 
There's something quite basic to Christian understanding that seems to get forgotten. All is forgiven for those whose faith is in Jesus' sacrifice, not their own good works. It seems to get forgotten when we talk about confession. Ephesians 2.8, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. I count all Philippians 3.8, what is it that Paul celebrates? That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God on the basis of of faith. So what are we to make of confession of sins? If confession leaves you feeling unworthy or useless, understand that God disagrees. If you're in Christ, he has made you worthy. Moses, Gideon, Isaiah, Peter, they all had the same problem. But God called them, called them to be warriors for God, not warriors, warriors. Worthiness is from God, and in him there is no condemnation. Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit might convict you of getting things wrong, but he does not condemn you. Accept what God has done. Leave your old self in the past and look forward to what God has planned for you. Because thinking again and again about sin can leave you seeing yourself as a sinner, not a forgiven child of God. It's a way of thinking about confession that just, to me, feels like a persistent relic of the pre-Reformation church. And it's certainly how the enemy wants you to see yourself. He's pleased when you see yourself as a sinner weighed down by guilt and useless. Check out Revelation chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Who is the accuser of the brethren? Who is the deceiver of the whole world? I'll give you a hint, it's not God. The enemy is the one who will educate you about a thousand sins, not the one means of redemption. So if you're redeemed by Christ, it seems to me the value of confession is simply to seek God's help to avoid future errors. Just, you can say to God, I'm getting something wrong. Help me to get it right. Help me to do better, not to make mistakes to be prepared to pay attention, to make up with those I've offended. So confession also includes supplication. Hmm. Well, sorry, series is all done. That's <laughs> no, I'm sure there will be more in the, in the next, next couple of sessions. But here is my thought. You say thank you to God for forgiveness before you say please help me to do better. Thank you before please and then you can move on because we're not forgiven in order to do nothing it's easy to do nothing wrong if you do nothing but doing nothing is also wrong there are many who've got things wrong and they are called God's saints you might have heard of some of them Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David, Peter all got things wrong what if they decided to keep quiet and out of trouble Paul continues his instruction to the Ephesian church. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
So see yourself as God sees you, ready to do his work because you are forgiven. That's the point. Don't dwell on those. Move forward. If you're constantly doing good things, you don't have time to do bad things. You're made righteous by the blood of Jesus. Romans 6.17 Thanks be to God that though you were once slaves to sin, you have been set free from sin, have become slaves to righteousness. Galatians 4.7 You are no longer a slave, but a son, an heir. But what is more motivating? What brings greater joy that shows through to the world? Or better sets you free to do God's work? Fear or love? Fighting to become a kingdom, a, a citizen of the kingdom of God, or seeking to live as one who is already a citizen of the kingdom, with gratitude to God, not striving and pride. Dragged down by condemnation or lifted up by grace. Live as citizens, not as beggars at the gate. Live lives of praise and thanksgiving, knowing forgiveness of sins. Boast about what God has done for you. A child of God, a humble one, but a saint, not a sinner. Weak but strong and glorious in him with the righteousness that comes from God look forward be who you are accept what God has done or what he wants to remain doing in your life today you can look forward to that next stage what has he got planned for you next so to conclude I think I've seen is that confession can be a sort of a mini acts within acts. Adoration, confess Jesus is Lord and my Savior. Confess, I got things wrong, but thank you before please. Thank you, I am forgiven. Accept Jesus' confession of me, who he says I am. And supplication, help me to get it right. To follow your lead for my life. To live as who he says I am. As a child of God. Amen. Amen.